As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. The Black Friday slash pre-Christmas sales are well underway and from today until Friday the 4th of December, you can get yourself a subscription to The Athletic for £1 a month for an entire calendar year. That means unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts for just £1 per month. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash league show. It's tight at the top of the championship. Steve's in at Shrewsbury. Parky's out of Sunderland. Swindon, Wyndon. And whilst too many cooks may well spoil a broth, one makes for the perfect podcast. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, hello gang. Matt Davis-Adams here to talk through an abridged weekend of EFL action. What with the FA Cup having happened? There was the odd League One and League Two game though and a full round of championship fixtures and thus much for us to discuss. Today, I'm joined by the winger-turned-tactical analyst, Adrian Clark. Hello, old boy. Hi, mate. You all right? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Also with us, from The Athletic and ensuring the East Midlands ennui is kept at a suitably high level, it's Derby County correspondent Ryan Conway. Ryan, who's glummer, you or me? Oh, definitely me. 100% me. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> uh, no Sam Parkin this week, but how's this for a replacement? It's the former Accrington, Chesterfield, Portsmouth and latterly Wigan manager, Paul Cook. Welcome to the pod, Paul. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, Paul, before we get to EFL-related questions, a word for Marine, the club where you started your career. They, they caused the, the biggest FA Cup upset of the weekend. You must have been chuffed when you saw the result on Sunday against Haverton and Waterlooville. Absolutely delighted. It's uh, you know, no different possibly than Chorley, just a bit further up the road. For these local teams, the non-league teams, you know, getting to the third round is winning the FA Cup. It's totally winning to go in that hat, you know, with, you know, obviously from Marine's point of view, Depending on which side of Liverpool you sit, red or blue, I think the Dream Tie is one of them two teams at Anfield or Goodison. And it's an amazing achievement. It really, really is to come through so many rounds. And I'm sure when the social distancing is, you know, we can get back to having a few pints together and getting out and about, I'm sure they'll celebrate well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great to see the uh, the goalie nipping into co-op to get the cans for the gym. <laughs> <laughs> well. I, love that. I didn't want to say gym. that, guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to get to the championship soon, but we don't often get the chance to give a cook a grilling, so let's do that now. Um, we had some questions coming from Twitter at the Totally Show, the handle to use. First one from that red-haired dude asks, how difficult was it to manage Wigan during that period last season? It was a challenge like no other, really. Yeah, it was. It really was. I think, you know, one of the problems for managers today is, in general, managers go from week to week and, and, and you're managing from a weekend's result what the expectations of a club is. And I think sometimes it's really grossly unfair on a manager. You know, if you lose on the Saturday, the world ends. If you win, everything's going to be great. And I think at Wigan, we had a real good, clear plan. You know, and within that plan, it was to progress from the year before. You know, I think the night before we went into administration, we beat Stoke 3-0 alone. You know, possibly one of our best performances. We put a new team together in the summer. We'd allowed that team to gel. You know, lads had been coming from League One, the Keeper Moors, the Jamal Lowe's. We'd signed Anthony Robinson, Joe Williams. You know, we brought so many new players in. And then lads were gelling and starting to hit. Next morning, I got called to the stadium to be told that, you know, we were in administration. You know, whatever left in the 12 points was going to be hit immediately. And, you know, we had to go to Brentford on the Saturday. And unfortunately, we lost 3 0 at Brentford on the Saturday. And, like I can guarantee you guys, without administration, we'd have lost 3 0 at Brentford on the Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a lame excuse from us, you know. But then, you know, credit to the lads. I think they'd lost one in 17, 18 championship games at the end. You know, they fought and fought and fought. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be, you know, but from my point of view, I think there was quite a, a sense of satisfaction at the end because if Wigan would have been left in the championship, you can only imagine the state the club would have been in today. Yeah. Can I just ask, Paul, did it, did it feel heartbreaking the way it all unfolded? Yeah. Because you, you'd built up such a good team. You were flying and then everything just, just comes to a sudden halt. It must have been, must have been such a choker for, for you personally. As a gaffer. Yeah, well, well, one of my big things about football today, you know, managers just don't get time to build teams. It's the nature of football today. It's no matter what club you go in, every manager gets welcomed in. And by the time you play five or six games, the world's about to end. That's not football. You know, when I was looking at Wigan, I was three years into my tenure. You know, we'd managed to win League One. We'd been promoted with nearly 100 points. We'd scored so many goals. But when you move into the Championship, it's a different league. It's a totally different level. And amidst that, we'd managed to build a team and put a team together that, you know, with the greatest respect, we were strong at the end. We were a well-balanced, good-functioning team with really strong players throughout the team. And we had to go through pain to get there. Nowadays, one of my big gripes is managers aren't allowed to go through pain no more. They're supposed to be sacked. It's ridiculous. Ryan, you would have seen um, Paul's Wigan at a close quarters last year for Derby. Two, two tight games between them. Were you impressed with them? Uh yeah, and he wasn't very happy at either result. Um, I remember the, 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 bo- the, boxing, the Boxing Day game, it was a miserable, miserable day. Um, Wigan battered Derby for 90 minutes, and in the 94th minute, Martin Wagon smashed one in. <laughs> it was, um, he was very upset in the post-game presser, Paul. <laughs> um, let's see how upset you are with this question, Paul. Martin Daniels wants to know, what do you think of the Eisner family? Um, wow, good question. You've, you've got me out there. I think, again, you know, from football, but I think the eyes and the family are a very solid, safe pair of hands for football, for Portsmouth Football Club. Now, unfortunately today, that doesn't, 
you know, appeal to some people, you know, because people want a new owner to come in and let's conquer the world and we're all going to be Chelsea. That's not real life football. You know, real life football is about supporting your team through thick and thin, you know, watching managers put teams together, going with to the game on a Saturday with your mates, having a pride in your club. You know, and I think the eyes and the family are fantastic for Portsmouth in relation to a solid, safe pair of hands. You know, where that takes Portsmouth Football Club, you know, obviously with FFP now, you know, salary cap and etc. you know, it remains to be seen. You know, but from, from my point of view, my reason and believing and was not the eyes and the family coming in. A couple of the things that, that you mentioned there kind of give a bit of a hint as to what you look for in, in a football club. I'm sure you're keen to get back in ASAP. Is it, is it more about the type of club maybe than, than where they are in terms of the league or, or their position within? You know, you, you presumably you do your homework on, on how it's run, who owns it, what the values of the club are. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've been I've been fortunate from my tenure as a football manager. I, I've had since I come back to England, I'm on Accrington for a very short time. You know, I went into Chesterfield, and you know, it went really, really well. We won League Two. We got to the playoffs in League One. You know, I went down to Portsmouth, and with the greatest respect to Pompey, we weren't doing great at the time. We got in the playoffs, and we won the league. And you know, I went up to Wigan, and with the greatest respect to Wigan and League One. You'd have had to have your eyes shut not to get Wigan out of League One with some of the players we had in that team. You know, the Nick Powell's in them. But then when you stepped up to the Championship, it was a different challenge. You know, one of the things that disappoints myself and a lot of managers, it's when people say what you can and can't do. You know, I, I'm not blowing my trumpet. I've managed to conquer everything that's been put in front of me. Yet people will say, you've never took a team up. You know, so I'm actually at the minute hoping to get a club that has the ability to go from the Championship into the Premier League. Now, whether I get that or not remains to be seen. If I don't, I'll manage again. That's football. You know, but I don't fear football. I don't fear football players. It doesn't faze me. Because I think when you're brought up in a family like I was, where football's your life, to not play football and manage football and not love it, there's got to be something wrong with you, surely, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I, I just think that that spell, before it all fell apart, so harshly for you and for and for the Wigan team that you'd you'd built. That was the period where you'd proved yourself as you know someone that capable of of stringing wins together at Championship level. So that must that run must have given you the, the confidence to go and say that now. I want a Championship club that that can get to the Premier League. Well, don't, don't forgive me for. If I, I, by the way, I don't really don't mean to sound arrogant. I mean, if you look at English managers today and the progression of English managers. You need a vehicle to get you where you want to go. Are you with me? If I could have stayed at Wigan this year, I'd have been going into my fourth year. And if we'd have added maybe one or two, I believe we'd have challenged in the top half of the championship to get in the playoffs. I think that's what we could have achieved. Are you with me? If you look at the English managers in general and Chris Wilder being the beacon, you know, you have to be promoted from the championship to get a Premier League job. Yeah. And as a manager, you should, you know, like players, I think one of the problems in English football is players get an amount of money and become happy. You know, I strive, like my players should, to be the best you can be. And you've got to want to be a winner. If you can't be a winner and do everything to win, then there's something wrong with you. All right, we, um, we'll move on to the game shortly, but I always like to finish with an ultra-serious question on, on these Q&As. Um, Brace yourself, Paul. <laughs> so I want to know, can Paul Cook actually cook? 
<laughs> and Abiel bodes well for me. I was labouring to come on this podcast, lads. I struggled <laughs> to put one foot in front of the other. I think, I think as my mum says, if it wasn't for football, I would be lost, guys. That's <laughs> All right. Well, you can relax now. After this, we're going to head straight to the championship. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Here are your championship headlines. Just four points between leaders Norwich and Bristol City in six, which is very championship. At the bottom, it's Wayne Rooney's Derby County. And in the Tony Pulis Derby, it was goalless, which feels a little bit appropriate. Uh, let's start our look back at the Madstad. Reading 3, Bristol City 1. Those unpredictable Royals. Easy Oliver Dowden. We're talking Netbusters, not Netflix. Uh, yeah, Reading. Anyway, they beat Bristol City 3-1. They were five games without a win until Saturday. Paul, you were on commentary for this one for Sky. We've been trying to trying to figure out Reading over the last few weeks, and we've been struggling. They go from, from brilliant to, to pretty poor from one week to the other, but they got the job done here. What did you make of them? I think you've just summed them up and worked them out. I think you've just hit Reading. You know, Reading, without a shadow of doubt, have the talent and the ability to challenge at the top end of the championship. Now, for whatever reason, over my time in the last two years of being in and around the championship, their inconsistency is their consistency. And I think the new manager coming in, you know, Velko will have learned so much about his team. And I think that's what good managers can do. You learn about teams, you make mistakes, and then you rectify your mistakes. I think Reading have got the players to, without doubt, challenge at that top end this season. Ryan, you saw them earlier in the season at Pride Park, didn't you? And I think you liked the looks of them on that day. Yeah, and what I sort of said about them then is is what I'll say about them now is, at times they have to be incredibly efficient with their chances because they don't they don't create an awful lot. Um, and I think you know statisticians, if you look at their XG, it was second only to Derby's in terms of how low it was. But it just showed you how ruthless they were in, in front of goal. I just doubted if that was um, attainable throughout a long championship season. If you're not going to be that efficient, you need to create more chances. I, I, I agree with Paul. I still think they've got the talent to challenge at the top six, but I, I always doubted if, if they would be top two for the long run. What do you think, Clarky? I think they're an excellent counter-attacking team. This this game turned out well for them because they had less than 50% of the ball. They were able to, to hit Bristol City hard and fast. And they've got so much power, haven't they? They've got good runners with and without the ball, with Mate, Lucas Joao can be un- unplayable at times, can't he? Ajaria loves a dribble, loves to take the ball at play. So I think when, they, when there's space to run into... Reading a seriously dangerous team. 21 shots to four in this in this match. Incredible stats, really, from them. I think they had 17 dribbles as well compared to Bristol City's uh, seven. So, so yeah, I, I like them. And they've also got a young player that's that's really catching the eye. I mean, Paul must have been impressed with that through ball from the teenager Elise to release Mate. That was, that was a bit special, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you guys are picking up on some really fantastic points nowadays because... 
Do you know, for a couple of years now, stats have been developing into football clubs in a really, really big way. And one of the first stats coming, you know, that managers used to really listen to was that you had to dominate possession to win games. Well, the brutal reality of that, that couldn't be any further from the truth. You don't have to dominate possession to win football games. And a lot of teams now are building themselves to be counter-attacking teams. And in that, you know, obviously what you're saying, Redknapp, them players that you've all just mentioned, the young boy, Elise coming in, you've only got to watch players for a short time. They only have to do one or two things to take your breath away. I think we all get watching them Monday ones, week in, week out. But when someone a bit special and different comes along, we get on the edge of our seat. And I think that boy's certainly got that talent, hasn't he? Yeah, big win for Reading that. Sorry, Ryan, but we're going to move on to Derby 1, Wickham 1. Um, if you haven't checked out Ryan's Twitter feed from Saturday, well worth it. It's certainly more entertaining than, than any Derby performance this season. <laughs> Not uh, so A 1-1 draw with Wickham on Saturday. Derby, seven points from 14 games. Last time they made this poor of a start, 2007-8. Uh, they went on to become the worst team in history. Paul, if you haven't guessed, I'm a Forest fan, by the way. Um, <laughs> Ryan, first question. Any idea who's going to be the manager? John Terry? Rafa Benitez, Rebecca Vardy's account, Paul Cook. <laughs> Who are you hearing? Um, I think the hiring of Steve McLaren, I think, is a big, in- big indicator for for where that appointment will go. My personal opinion is McLaren is a very experienced and, and has had a very successful career, but I don't think you would hire someone like him and then go and hire an experienced manager on the touchline. I think that kind of points to them going in a Rooney, John Terry kind of direction. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I might be wrong, but connecting some dots there, that's the that's the feeling. And look, they've got a, a home game against Coventry. If they pick up four out of six, kind of looks good for, for for Wayne and all the things he's doing there. He made seven changes on Saturday. Did that did that have an effect particularly? Did you notice much of a difference between his style of management and Liam Rossini's at Bristol City the week before? Yeah, it was it was bold. Um, Louis Sibley was the only academy graduate to get a to get a start, and obviously, if you've known much around Derby over the last sort of sixteen eighteen months, it's that they want to build from the academy. <laughs> Rooney kind of went, "Yeah, we're throwing that in the bin right now," because because they, they need they need results, and um, and I think a lot of it has been unfair to maybe put those young lads in positions where you go, you know, you you're the guys that have to get us out because the, that core of of academy players was used to winning at the twenty three level. It did work for the first hour um, and then after the hour they created I think one chance that I think personally thought Rooney was a bit naive in the change he made he brought Colin Kazim Richards and Dwayne Holmes off who had been both the best offensive um, players throughout the entire game and then they just didn't create anything <laughs> and I know that's a simple explanation um, and maybe jump into conclusions but it was the easiest one to go well you take your two best attacking players off you don't attack that much but they were they were good in the first half. They were much more direct, much more direct. It, under Koku, it was a lot of passing combinations in the centre of midfield, and a lot of the times it didn't really go anywhere. Um, whereas under Rooney, it was get it long to Kazim Richards, who won eleven out of his sixteen duels, which was brilliant. Um, and then he was able to drop deep, lay the ball off, and he had runners go beyond him. And, and having that kind of fluidity up front was something they really, really lacked. Paul, if it is going to be Rooney or even somebody like John Terry, i.e. an inexperienced manager, what, what would be the the key piece of advice that, that you would offer them? That's a difficult question, isn't it? I think, you know, Ryan just summed it up perfectly there. What you have to have at a football club, you have to have an ethos somewhere. You know, if your ethos is about winning football games, then the reality is 
youth development will be way down that list because youth development is about letting lads progress, make mistakes, you know, going through the match analysis, showing them the situations again, then putting them back out there. So results become a little bit secondary. And it's difficult because we all know clubs like Derby, the massive football clubs, for the last three, four years, the emphasis has been on getting the Premier League. So you have such a drastic swing in what, you know, what's expected. I think first and foremost for any manager, head coach, whatever you call it, the job spec is important. So, you know, the job spec for Derby Football Club going forward needs to be, you know, ironed out properly and correctly. Because, you know, when Frank Lampard at Chelsea last year and you bring your young lads in, football fans want to win on a Saturday, don't they? Come on. You know, if you're a Derby County fan, come on. We all love young kids coming through, but we like winning as well, don't we? <laughs> you know, we don't want, well, with the greatest respect to Forrest, it's a good battle down there at the bottom between the two of them. <laughs> you know, so that might be keeping all the fans just going a little bit okay. You know, so that you know, job spec being ironed out correctly going forward for Derby County, whoever becomes head coach manager, I think is vitally important. Um, Clarky, we ought to give some praise to, to Wickham here because they seem to be sort of slowly getting to grips with the Championship now and, and Akin Femwer is proving to be a real difference maker. Derby really struggled to handle him just like other teams have in recent weeks. Well, Akin Femwer is, is proof that you don't need to be a goal-scoring striker to be an effective striker. You know, over the course of a season, of course you want your front man to score goals. You need them to score goals and he's still waiting for his first in the championship. But when he plays, he gives them that platform to get up the pitch and, and to get runners off them. And, and that's where Wickham's strengths lie. They need the platform for your Horgans and McCleary's and everybody else to go and join in and a uh, cash cap. These guys, these busy players to, to go and make things happen. I, I thought... Ainsworth had a had a good match uh, at the weekend. He, he he changed things for the better in the second half. Ryan's touched on it. I think they were fitter as well than Derby. But you know, maybe I don't know if it was younger legs or not. But but they they certainly came on came on strong. And it was unusual, wasn't it, that that he didn't start with Akinfemwa in the game. He started with McCleary up front and then changed it. Recognised that maybe it wasn't working and and went for a plan B. So so yeah, look, another step in the right direction for Wickham who. They're beginning to look, aren't they, like like a team you don't want to face all of a sudden. In the, in the early weeks, it was like, bring on Wickham. That's three points. But but right now, they're, they're tough. They're a tough nut to crack. Let's move on to Watford 4, Preston 1. Rather depressingly, I think the three teams relegated <laughs> from the Premier League currently occupy the top three places in the Championship. Watford third after they wallop Preston at the Vicarage. Uh, Preston this season, rubbish at home, brilliant away. But this weekend... Just rubbish. Sorry, <laughs> Mr. Neil. Uh, please don't hurt me. Uh, uh, Troy Deeney back making his, his first start of the season. Ryan, that's a huge difference maker yeah. right there, isn't it? He looks like a player built for, for this division at this stage of his career. Yeah, 100%. Um, in a division that is about options, it's about physicality. And I think Troy Deeney has a bit more technique than he's often given credit for, but he can also make the ball stick as, as well. And when you've got players like Saar and, you know, Andre Gray buzzing off him and things like that, it, they've got match winners in that team. And, and on the day when they click, they they were going to give someone a good idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we forget that, you know, the, or some may forget that right at the start of the season, the, the goal scoring exploits were like pretty rubbish. You know, it was, they were winning games 1-0 or drawing 0-0 and, and things like that. And, but it was only a matter of time once they got Saar back and, Gray and, and Troy Deeney getting back in the in the fold as well. That they, they were really going to put a hurt in on somebody. Yeah, I also think that it took a while for the manager to trust the rear guard. He went with the back three, didn't he, at first? I don't, I don't think he was sure about the individuals within it. 
and and he went safety first. I think what he's he's learned is that Cabasele and Cathcart can be a partnership, and if he believes that they can be a partnership, then he can get that extra attacking player on the pitch. And I, th- I think that's that's been a key difference for Watford in this game and, and a couple of the more recent matches. So so yeah, look onwards and upwards. I also think squad depth. Is playing a big part at the moment with, with with Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. It's it's necessary, and 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 here he could bring in Dini and 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 leave out Joao Pedro. Not many managers have that luxury in the Championship. So uh, yeah, Watford in this sort of slog of a winter are well well equipped, I think, to to rest and rotate properly. Paul, I mentioned that the, the, the three clubs who've come down are in the top three positions in the league. Is that something which maybe gives more credence to the argument that, that parachute payments should be done away with? Does, does it skew things in their favour too much? Yeah, I think that's a big question, isn't it? You know, I think if you're the clubs going up, I think the biggest problem for club, the clubs being promoted, especially Premier League to Championship, is the fallout when you're relegated. I think if you look at the top three teams, Norwich, Bournemouth and Watford, I think the biggest problem for the managers in the initial transfer window is lads who want to leave to go back to the Premier League. So you have a quite an unhappy dressing room till that transfer window closes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, once that transfer window closes, everyone knows the day till January. So everyone's realigned and focuses properly. I think certainly in Bournemouth's situation with King up front and one or two other players, you know, they might have looked to maybe jump back out. I think Norwich have had a lot more of a steady ship. I think it's a lot more of a calmer ship down there. So it's no surprise that the financial aspect, if you look at Troy Deeney and Andre Gray up front, yet Preston are going there with Barkhausen and Sean Maguire and Jaden Stockley. Come on, there's a massive difference in firepower, isn't there? So, you know, the, the parachute debate is a big debate, obviously, especially with financial fair play, etc. But the reality for relegated teams out of the Premier League, it's no surprise to see them sitting at the top. So Preston then, Clark, are we maybe setting our expectations a bit too high for them, given what where they've been last couple of seasons, but their budget's not really comparable with the teams that Paul's well, mentioned? It, I, I feel a bit sorry for Alex Neil because it, it's gone stale, but it's gone stale not not because he wants it to, but because the, the, the board there didn't really give him any funds to, to beef up his squad. He couldn't really bring in any fresh faces to just to just change things up. So it all feels a bit bit samey. Um, the plus side for them is that Ben Davis and Ben Pearson, two of their definite best players, were available for, for the game at Watford and, and they looked okay. So so they'll be a bit stronger f- for them returning. But but yeah, for me, there was a, there was a lack, slight lack of ambition this summer. Obviously, with COVID around, it's understandable that, that, that some clubs might hold back, but but it's 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 impacted on him, and you do worry, you know, on the back of losing three 0 at home to Blackburn, they then go and get spanked by Watford. They can't win at home. The fans are definitely turning on Alex Neil. You, you feel as if that there, there might be a change there uh, sometime soon, and you know that would be a shame for for Alex Neil. Yeah, can I just make a point on that because it's an interest when I've been lucky enough to follow Preston a lot you know, being in the area. And one of the problems for managers, especially, especially clubs like Preston, when you're probably maxing and overachieving, you know, that eventually you hit a point where you're actually probably just doing what, what says on the tin. You know, last year, Alex was sought after by Stoke, by West Brom, you know, by really big clubs because of the stature of a manager he is. And I personally, my own personal thing is that he's one of the outstanding managers in the championship. You know, Preston do not have the firepower of 
the Forests, the Derbys, the Middlesbrough, the Stokes, let alone the other championship clubs. But, you know, because they've done so well over a couple of years, the expectancy there is probably a little bit higher than it should be. You know, so maybe sometimes even for Alex, maybe the time for Alex possibly to go and get a fresh challenge and maybe for a new manager to come in with that fresh challenge is probably good for all parties. Because I certainly think Alex is a top, top manager. Mm. But under pressure at the moment, and we would have said the same about Neil Harris before the weekend, but then Cardiff go and put four past Luton, uh, which probably ought to ought to keep the um, the Wolves at bay for a little bit for him. Liverpool Loney's a big factor in this one, Paul. It just goes to show how important getting that aspect of recruitment right can be for championship clubs. I'm quickly realising on this podcast how difficult it is for managers to talk about <laughs> other managers. <laughs> I'm quickly And if Wayne Booney hasn't got a clue, I think Alex Neal's rubbish and I think Neil Harris is absolutely out of his depth. <laughs> I think it's football today, isn't it? I think, obviously, speaking about Cardiff now, uh, you know, you look at the calibre of player again and Harry Wilson, Ojo, Murphy... You know, they've obviously got Kiefer Moore in. You know, they have got firepower. And I think, you know, Cardiff haven't probably started off as well as maybe everyone might have anticipated and should have. But integrating new players also takes a little bit of time. I think Cardiff certainly have the ability to challenge at the top end. I think the two goals early on in the game, Saturday, I think it was five and nine minutes. I think that would have settled the nerves of everyone really well. And hopefully they can get another positive result midweek. If you can put three wins together in the championship in a week, you can guarantee whatever league position you had last week, it won't be the same as next week. <laughs> Paul, how good's Kiefer Moore? Because he's, he's really stood out for me this season as, as, as one of well, Cardiff's main man. Every time the ball goes into the box, he, he looks like making something happen. But his all-round play is, is, is strong as well. He linked up excellently with Mark Harris, who came in from the reserves for this game. Um, you've worked with him at close quarters. You know How far can he go, Kiefer Moore? He, he looks a real top centre forward certainly at championship level again you guys everyone on, on the podcast is very intelligent we're all football people you know the problem in the modern day game is most managers today want to play with one up front now the brutal reality Kiefer is possibly as close as you'll get to the perfect package he has the physicality he has the athleticism he has the touch most people don't have that most strikers have one or two of the qualities but not the other and with Kiefer, Kiefer's probably now only getting the credit and the rewards he's probably deserved for a period of time. You know, he's a fantastic lad. He works so hard at his game. He's a really good boy. And he's got really every quality to be a top, top striker. Ryan, this wasn't a great result for Luton, obviously, but they're not <laughs> going to be too concerned, I don't think. No wins in four. They have drawn three of those, though, and comfortably mid-table. So, so actually pretty far up on where they were this stage last season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think um, one of the things that you can guarantee from Luton most weeks um, is that they will they will play you close. They'll play you in a pretty in a pretty tight game. Um, the the home ground is not a nice place to go to, and I mean that in an endearing way. You, you know, <laughs> Lu, Lu, Luton Luton made life miserable for Derby on two occasions um, last season and already when they lost um, lost there this season. Um, They'll they'll be fine. I think they'll be. I think they'll they'll stay up. They're well managed. They keep things tight. They don't concede that many goals regularly, um, and I think they've got enough about them in terms of the good quality crosses into the ball. They they run 
you know, they time their runs really well to get on the end of those crosses. They're always gambling to go near post. Um, I think I think they'll be fine. Yeah, there's loads to like about Luton. Um, I just think they were knackered in this game. Just tired. Three games a week for Watford is not the same as three games a week for Luton. That's the harsh reality. He can't he can't rotate four or five players, and it makes no difference. I just think that they ran out of gas, and and they come up against a Cardiff team that. They were just on it on the day. Terrific performance from Cardiff. It was quite interesting, wasn't it, Nathan's post-match comments? You know, that he actually felt before the game that he wanted to make a lot of changes in the game. Right. Okay. And he actually never. Hmm. And it was interesting to hear him say about, you know, what would have happened if the result would have been similar, but with making them changes. Hmm. And your point is absolutely bang on. That three games in a week for them Luton lads would have probably been a game too many rather than that. And I think Nathan... And Luton are doing absolutely amazingly well. They're doing frighteningly good in the league. I think the experience of that last week, we'll probably see the next time we come across that. Nathan will make them changes and he will then believe in that process. All right, the last game that I want to talk about from the Championship happened on Friday night. Brentford 2, QPR 1 in the West London derby. Brilliant opener in this game from Vitaly Janelt right into the bottom corner from the former Bochum man. Um, Brentford, Ryan, not quite hit the heights of last season, but given they've lost two-thirds of their BMW, I guess we shouldn't be that surprised about that. But they look as though they're just clicking into, into gear a little bit maybe now. And in Tony, they've got maybe the most natural goal scorer in the division. I hate them so much. They're so good at everything that they do. I hate them. <laughs> no, um, you're, you're, you're right. And uh, you look at you look at Tony, and I think the question marks were what you know what can he step up to the championship and and find the back of the net with the same frequency? Well, he bloody well can. Um, he is he is so he is so good. He's such an intelligent player at, at finding space, at, at peeling off his marker, at, at just finding those pockets. And once the ball is is in his feet. It, it's it's gone before you, you even the defender can even start to make a recovery. Um, he's absolutely lethal, and when you can replace someone like Ollie Watkins with someone like him and still bank profit, you're doing something very very right at your football club. Something really interesting that that came out in the post match here: uh, the Sorensen shoulder barge on Dykes, and then the to- Todd Kane red card or second yellow card that Mark Warburton thought should have been a penalty and a red card in terms of the Sorensen one. He said post match, empty stadiums allow the loudest shouts to be rewarded. Do you think there's anything in that, Paul? You know, if if you're lot on the sideline are screaming in the refs ear and your players are shrieking whenever they go down, would that influence? My Wigan team lost one in 16 at the end of the season. I have got a big cobbler. <laughs> I think he's actually bang on the money. Um, yeah, but what, listen, possibly, you know, possibly referees will be, you know, not, not intimidated is the wrong word, you know, but maybe reactive to possibly allow this voice. So I think it's a very interesting comment. You know, I, I do know from, you know, Brentford are very vocal in terms of appealing and, you know, trying to get decisions, that's something that does come across when you play against them. I thought Mark's team acquitted themselves really well in the game. I thought it was a really good game. And, you know, I like the team that Mark's building with Willock and, you know, these type of younger lads chair, obviously Dykes in there. And, you know, they've got some really intelligent footballers and it was a good football match. Obviously, the sending off had a big impression of it. So, hopefully we get fans back in very, very soon and then we'll never know, will we? We should get back to playing football properly. 
Would that have been you, Clarky, screaming in the referee's ear knowing that he could hear you a bit better? <laughs> um, I was more of a... Um, a wi- not a whisperer, but I, when I was a captain later on in my career, I would always be in the ear of the referee, always, always sort of try, trying to get him on side, really, um, by, by sort of creeping around him. I have to say, I was a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of a crawler on the pitch in the hope that it might just turn turn out for my team in the end. I wasn't much of a screamer or a shouter, no. Uh, not like not like Paul with his hoarse voice. Yeah, I mean, you just know by, by, by virtue of the fact that he's never got a voice at the final whistle that <laughs> that, that plenty is going on down there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how, is, how are your vocal... I was going to say, how are your vocal cords now, Paul? Because, like, you know, I, I'd imagine they were fairly damaged. Um, uh, rest and recuperation ahead of the next gig well I must be the only manager who apologises to the other manager before the game for my behaviour that's about to happen (laughs) and I genuinely say guys I just want to you know I want every decision and we just want to win and then after the game we always have a nice relax and a drink and we have a chuckle I think it's correct to be sporting but I also think it's correct to be competitive yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, as has become customary this season, we're going to build a midweek acker with the help of our friends from Paddy Power. Guess first, Paul. What's your what's your pick for us? I've gone for QPR at home to Bristol City. I really like QPR. I think the the time that Mark will spend with them on the training ground will be going into games. I think he brought a few new players in. Obviously, Will Willock and Dykes being the two main ones at that top end of the pitch. I think they're going to. I, th- I think they can really evolve. I think Bristol City at the minute, from watching them on Saturday, I think they're doing really well to be in the league position they are at the minute. I think they've obviously got some big injuries there. Callis and the like still out, and I think it could be a really good opportunity for QPR to get a win. Uh, Producer Abby, what odds will you give us on that? We are looking at five to four for QPR to beat Bristol City. All right, Ryan, you're a Championship man. What's catching your eye from the midweek games? Uh, I have gone with Watford to beat Forest because I hate you. Um, <laughs> no, no. no. I, 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 on, Paul, honestly, I promise I'm much more optimistic usually. Um, no, I, I I worry a little bit, just a little bit for for Forest and and having watched them against against Swansea, I thought they were they were very good um, up until maybe 70 minutes or so and, and they didn't really create that much afterwards. I would worry if they conceded first against a Watford team that has looked like it's found its groove again. I'd worry a little bit for Forrest so that's why I've gone for them to uh, for Watford to win. Okay, if you're worrying a little bit, can you imagine how I'm feeling? Abby, what are the odds on that? One to 100 that Watford will beat Forrest presumably? <laughs> oh, close. Uh, it's seven to five for Watford to beat Forrest. <laughs> Um, why are you there, Abby? What what are the odds on the next Derby manager looking like? Yes, so John Terry is still the favourite. He's eight to fifteen uh, to take over at uh, Pride Park. Then Wayne Rooney is twenty one to ten, and Steve Cooper eleven to four. Although he has been uh, speaking today about his commitment to Swansea, so I'm not sure about that one. And then uh, coming in at number four, it's uh, uh, one Paul Cook ten to one. <laughs> Never heard of him. Nah. <laughs> um, Ryan, this, this is where we bid you farewell. Have you got any final questions you'd like to ask Paul before we let you go? Yes, I would like to ask you about Jamal Lowe because I love him. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, his goal return doesn't really pop off the page, but when you watch his play, you see that he's so much more than a, a striker that's going to get you goals. How, how did you find working with with Jamal? Again, it's a very good question. I, I signed Jamal when I was at Portsmouth. We signed him. I, he came into train for us a week. Alan Dodson, as manager at the time, allowed me to 
bring them in because I like signing non-league lads. I think they have a, a hunger and a desire sometimes that some of the pros lack. And I think they can always lift a session, they can lift a squad just by that raw enthusiasm. Uh, we signed Jamal after one training session. We watched him and it was just apparent the lad could play football. You know, he done smashing for me at Portsmouth. Uh, we were lucky enough to get him again at Wigan. Uh, when he starts believing in himself a little bit more, the sky's the limit for him. He's got a really good desire to be a footballer. He's a fantastic lad. He works hard at his game. His energy levels are fantastic. He has a he has a talent. Like if you watch Jota for Liverpool, for example, one of their talents is they are always in there to score. And some lads have got to watch these players to know that. Jamal's got that same talent. He's just not converting his chances that he's getting at the minute. And when I do believe that he starts converting them chances in repetition and getting there, the confidence will then start flowing a little bit more. The belief will come. And I think Swansea made a really fantastic signing in Good stuff. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Despite Thanks, your Ryan. professional affliction, it's uh, it's always good to have you on. We'll speak to you soon. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye, Ryan. Right, let's double up our League 1 and 2 sections this week, shall we? We'll see you then. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Headlines from tiers three and four. No, this is not a regional news update. Uh, Sunderland up to their usual malarkey. Firing Parky is the mood at the Stadium of Light turns darky. Shrewsbury bringing Steve Cottrell to fill the manager's position left vacant by the firing of Sam Ricketts. In the A420 derby, Swindon beat Oxford for the first time in 7,203 days. And in League Two, there were wins for Leighton Orient and for Bolton. Uh, this Sunderland story, I guess we should speak about first, Adrian. Same old, same old. Another season, another manager gone, just outside the playoffs, but they don't feel that's good enough for them. No, it's. Um, look, I, like, I really like Phil Parkinson, um, so so I feel I feel sad for him. Um, fans never really took to him. I, th- I think that much is, is fair to say. They wanted a more adventurous manager. And, and 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 that's what they're still they're still craving. I think the win ratio has to has to be the the thing that he's ultimately judged on. Jack Ross had fifty percent win ratio. Phil had thirty five. Even though you know it was there or thereabouts, and you could make a, a strong argument that they were that they would get into the playoffs and and possibly get promoted. But to win thirty five percent of your games at League One level, if your manager is Sunderland isn't enough really and um so that 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 was a problem the Aidan McGeady um 
not drama, but the Aidan McGeady call that he made, I think was always going to hang over him until unless they sold him. And they were unable to sell him, unfortunately, because of various things, obviously with COVID happening. Um, and the fact that when results go against you and you've, you've made a strong stance that one of your most talented players isn't going to be involved come what may, it's one of those, it's a little bit like at Arsenal at the moment with Arteta and Ozil. It's, it's, it's a stick for the fans to, to beat you with. So that was a problem. And the other one was, was salary cap. I think for Sunderland, the salary cap coming in was a, was a problem because their wage bill was already big. So they couldn't really go and extend themselves, could they, in, in the market, and, uh, which was fairly stagnant anyway. So, so yeah, a few reasons to sort of feel a bit sorry for Phil, but, but ultimately didn't win enough games. Is it, is it still an attractive job, Paul? I know they're a massive club, but but they've been in the doldrums for a while and so many people have had a go at trying to get it right and, and not been able to. You, know, you think of somebody like Chris Coleman who got to the semi-finals of a European championship. I know international football is a different beast, but he couldn't turn the ship around. It, it's not as if it's going to be easy for whoever comes in. No, it won't be easy. I think, you know, the brutal reality of it, you have to be promoted. You know, you must win football games. Because, you know, you guys will see it close hand. Everyone speaks about uh, plans and philosophies and let's give the new manager time. Normally, by the time the press have left the car park that day, you're under the microscope right away. That's just football today. You know, I felt that and I sensed it when I managed Portsmouth. You know, the problem, again, for managers who go into these clubs is that the supporters in general are that used to seeing big names, big players, full stadiums, winning football, if you like. You know, for Sunderland fans, and I do feel for Sunderland fans because what they've been through in the last five, six years is horrendous. You know, the relegations, even the documentaries, you know, the, the Sunderland till I die. Because unfortunately, we all know how them documentaries are ending. You know, the losing playoffs at Wembley to late goals. And they've had so much pain, you know. And, and, and like a lot of big clubs, you know, Sunderland fans are absolutely unbelievably strong, good supporters that want to support a successful Sunderland football club. So I think any manager who goes in will know the rules quite quickly. You must deliver. I was going to say that Sunderland have been sort of accused of not scoring enough goals. And I think that's 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 fair. But they've scored in all but one game. So they've been consistent scorers. And Charlie White's been terrific this season. I think he's shown faith in him and he's delivered. It's just finding that second and third goals. And and that, I think, is where the Sunderland fans have had the gripes with Phil's style of play. They just don't think it was quite quite bold enough. I mean, it's just it's one of those. You could bring in a bolder manager uh, that plays a more attacking style of play and it could get them the wins that, that, that takes them up automatically. But, but alternatively, you can start losing more games. So it's a, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult decision. But I, I sense that they have to go with a more attack-minded manager this time around, right? I've seen an interesting stat over the weekend, and forgive me if I get it slightly wrong. I think Sunderland have drawn 35 of the last something games, 1-1, mm. which, which is amazing. Thing. I think 55 games, whatever it was, and which is incredible, isn't it? And one of the factors you have to factor in, and you know, Sunderland fans probably won't really want to hear it, every team that plays Sunderland, it's their cup final. Every single team. Every team that turns up at that stadium like, will give a percentage more than they give every other week. And that comes with the territory. You know, unfortunately, if you play for Sunderland, you must be able to carry that and deliver. If you manage Sunderland, you will must carry that and deliver. And I think from Phil's point of view, the biggest disappointment from Phil, that he wasn't given the time for anyone to know whether he would have seen them promoted or not. You know, and that's always the difficulty for a manager. 
Different level of expectation at a Shrewsbury to Sunderland, of course, but but Steve Cottrell's come in there so he can he can take down his LinkedIn profile saying that he's a professional manager waiting for a new challenge. Um, Clarky, what did you make it a disappointment? Uh, that's funny, isn't it? I I'm love just that. deleting my account. Here. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you got to let make, let people know that you're available, haven't you? Uh, oh dear. Um, what, what what do I make of Steve Cotter's appointment? Well. It, He's, exper- he's experienced. He's he, he's got a good relationship with the chairman already, by all accounts. He's known him for seventeen years. I read this; it's really interesting. Basically, the chairman Roland uh, Wycherley. I, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, but but basically, they struck up a friendship at the time when Shrewsbury got relegated to the to the non non league, and and he basically tapped up Steve Cotterill, who was managing Cheltenham at the time, and said, "Look, how do you get out of this league?" And, and Steve took the time, by all accounts, to, to sit down with him and over four hours, I think I read, to, to sort of go through that division and what it takes to get out of it. And it's come around. So being nice to him at that point in time, that hasn't been forgotten. And, and, and he's been, he says he's been waiting for the right, the right job. And clearly it's a guy that they've got, you know, got a good relationship with. So yeah, wish him well. Look, he, he comes across as very abrasive in, in, in the media. He's, you know, he demands hard work and, and effort. But but some of his teams have been good to watch. They've been quite you know attack minded down the years and, and scored a lot of goals. So and and that's what Shrewsbury needs. They need more goals in their team. They've got some good experienced players, um, but they need they need a striker quickly. Uh, and I'm sure that he's, he's identified someone that he can bring in in the window. And um, Paul, some another manager in League One. I wanted to get your opinion on is is Lee Bowyer. His Charlton beating Ipswich two 0 at Portman Road on Saturday. Charlton looking good, but I sort of feel like the key for them is keeping hold of Bowyer until the end of the season because other clubs are going to start looking at him before too long if he keeps this up. Surely, I think Lee's probably. I think uh, uh, an underlying fact of Lee's probably biggest success has been the continuation of managing Charlton through a really difficult period. I don't think anyone can ever know how difficult that is because normally you go into work and by the time you get in, most managers we get in, you know, we get in, my staff, we're reporting for work at 8 o'clock of the morning. We do all our stuff. Normally training starts at 10, 10, 15, 10, 30. So if you're normally going on the basis of a manager getting in at 8, by the time you get to 10, you haven't spoke about football with them clubs. All you spoke about is headaches and problems. <laughs> and Lee, as a young manager, has absolutely managed that situation so well and also delivered success along the way. You know, I think he's doing an amazing job at Charlton. I think, and again, I don't know the new owner of Charlton. I listened to a couple of interviews and he sounded really positive and good. And if I was ever advising people on managing, and I wouldn't dare do that to a Lee Boyer, if you're at a good club like Charlton and you've got a good owner, you can achieve what you want to there. So, you know, I think it's a good manager at the minute and long may continue. Uh, I want to move on to Oxford 1, Swindon 2, because if not, Sam Parkin will, will never come back on, <laughs> on the pod. Um, do you, who remembers what life was like last time Swindon beat Oxford? Probably nobody. So here's a reminder of those heady days back in March of the year 2001. Yo, man. Yo. Open up, man. Uh, Shaggy was advising a friend to claim it wasn't him, despite a wealth of evidence to the contrary. Uh, Hannibal topped the box office. Liverpool's Curtis Jones was two months old. Adrian Clark was days away from being subbed off in the 80th minute in a 2-1 win for Stevenage over Hereford. And Paul Cook was about to beat Watford wearing the claret of Burnley.
back to Saturday's game anyway. Uh, it was a late win for Swindon, Adrian. Something that stood out to me though was was Carl Robinson in the post match. Oh kind of metaphorically burying his goalkeeper. We criticised Ian Everett for this a couple of weeks ago for, for doing doing a similar thing at Bolton, albeit that was a young player. Is it slightly different if a, if a manager does it to, to a more experienced player, Simon mm. Eastwood, in his 30s? Well, I've been interested to hear Paul's view on this as, as someone that has to sort of face the, the mic. It's, it's a difficult one when you're emotional after a game. Yeah, I, I think I think there is a distinction. Yeah, I think Simon Eastwood is a vastly experienced keeper, and I think he he will have broader shoulders and be able to to handle the criticism uh, better than a young keeper. Um, so so yeah, I, I would I, I would be less critical of Carl Robinson. I also know that Eastwood this isn't the first mistake he's made this season. Um, it was a really bad one as well, wasn't it? It was it, it was indecisive on on his part, um, but. But what he said, I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to be knocking on the door if you're if you're Eastwood, you'd have to be knocking on the door and saying, look, what do you mean by that, you know? And and, and if that means, I'm, you know, you're dropping me, I'd rather know now, I suppose. So it, it did hint towards Robinson leaving leaving him out, didn't it? Um, so so that was that was strong from him, and it was a tale of the two managers, wasn't it? Because Sheridan, he sort of threw caution to the wind. I think he started with a back five. Centre half got injured, so what did he do? Did it, does he put another centre half on, or does he go for it? And the answer is he goes for it, and he sticks a centre half on, but he sticks him out front, which is just brilliant, isn't it? Uh, Tom Broadbent and and uh, but Paul might have stories of his own of of, of this working. But very rarely, in my memory, just sticking a centre half up top for a prolonged period work as well as it did here with Tom Broadbent, who who you know scored great volley. And then played a big part in the in the winner as well. So yeah, well done, well done, Sheridan. I think well, it's a good point, isn't it? I think from from John Sheridan's point of view, and as a manager, whenever you play teams, any team that plays without fear is a dangerous team. And I think Swindon had a point of being getting beat one nil. It's a massive derby match down in them parts. It means so much to the people of the you know the different towns. You know that at eighty five minutes, John's thinking, well, if we're getting beat one nil, we might as well get beat three. You're getting beat. They've nicked a goal back. Obviously, he's put Bro Bent on up front, and all of a sudden, most managers can look tactical geniuses. Can't we? <laughs> so, John's enjoyed the drink on Saturday night to celebrate the win. I think, from Carl's point of view, I think one of the problems, especially last year, from when you've lost a, you know, a big game, a big playoff game from at Wembley to to Wickham, naturally you're coming to the next year as one of the the favourites, if you like, to go up. There's always a hangover from them defeats. And, I think, Carl, you know, the, the interviews can come too quick after the game from a manager. You know, you, you, all of a sudden you're saying stuff that it's you're still hurting, aren't you? You know, you're still raw. It's an emotion. You've just been beat with a really late goal. And, you know, I'm sure Carl will not say any regret. That's for Carl to say, not for me. But, you know, sometimes you've got to probably manage your own disappointment a little bit better and, you know, maybe have words with your senior players and your goalkeeper because the hurt from a deep derby defeat is huge. You know, and then obviously, you know, from the goalkeeper situation, I can't see the goalkeeper being in goal on Tuesday against Ipswich, that's for sure. But, you know, they'll also have a personal relationship and that's also majorly important. Paul, can I ask you, have you, has that ever happened to you where you've sort of got ahead of yourself and maybe criticised a player publicly and then felt bad about it afterwards and, and had to redress, you know, pull into one side and, and, and have a chat or, or not? Have you, have you stuck to your guns? No, again, from a managerial point of view, and you know, it's only my way. Everyone's different. 
I would never slag a player or my team off to any press person yeah. ever. Yeah, I can. Ever. That's my own personal thing. No matter how bad it got at Wigan last year, we were bottom of the league in January. I think every every Saturday you'd go over to Jeff Stellan and Wigan had conceded at five o'clock when we <laughs> you know, we were drawing one one, we were winning one nil at Luton, we got beat two one. And I think certain stuff should always remain private. You know, because our job as a manager is to make them players better players, is to improve them, is to develop them. And I think sometimes that's my own personal point of view. That's how, no matter how much I'm hating, you know, I've got to turn to them players again. And I'm sure Carl, who's, who's Carl's, Carl's getting more, ex, Carl is quite an experienced manager now. I think there was probably a little bit of personal pride in that interview. Yeah, definitely. Um, what just the one game from League Two I want to have a look at: Bolton three, Southend nil. Owen Doyle and Nathan Delfonso uh, with the goals for Bolton here. Southend's eleventh defeat of the campaign already. Paul Bolton seemed to be seemed to be on the up at last. It's taken a while for the new manager to get all these new signings to gel, but but signs that it's coming together now. Ah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And again, we go back to that new managers and you know the expected impact and. You know what's expected of them. I think, you know, they were languishing there at the bottom of the league. They were three or four places above the drop and it wasn't going particularly well. You know, they probably got a result against the run of play against Salford the other week on live on Sky. And now all of a sudden they find themselves five unbeaten, sitting one place outside the playoffs on the back of a 3-0. And you can guarantee training will be different. You walk into a totally different environment now. And, you know, with the players of the calibre of Delphonse, Owen Doyle in League Two, you know, you can certainly see why they're going to win some games. Can't say the same for your old team, the Shrimpers, though, Clarkie. Uh, it's uh, going from bad to worse week to week. Yeah, look, it's, yeah, it's, we've spoken about them a lot, haven't we? In terms of they, they've just got a team of, of youngsters or, or players that have got no real, no real league experience. So, so it's such, it's so hard for them. Um, they desperately need a striker. Um, Brandon Goodship missed a, missed a good chance, I think, in this one, and he's copped a bit of a bit of stick. They've got one waiting in in Akinola, uh, along with Sam Hart, a left back, but they can't play because the club is still under an embargo. The problems don't lie with Mark Molesley. They don't really lie with the players who are sort of being asked to do a job that's that's maybe beyond them. The problems lie with the management of the club. And, and Ron Martin has, has, has got himself into a real pickle. He has paid off the tax bill, which is fantastic. But he needs to to to, to meet the conditions that, that, that mean they can sign players again and, and get this embargo lifted. If they can't, Southend, who... You know, I, I played for them in the, you know, in the, in the championship in League One. That's where they should be, championship and League One. They shouldn't be non-league. But there's a very, very real danger that Southend are going to slip out, of the, slip out of the league. And 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 it's not Mark Moles' fault. Let me tell you, it's it comes from above. All right, Adrian. While we're with you, what are you bringing to our midweek hacker this week? Yeah, I'm going for Plymouth to beat Rochdale at home. Now, Plymouth have had a, a couple of indifferent results on the road, but they're really strong. Really, really strong on their own patch. And they've got good forward players. And they're up against Rochdale. Nice footballing team. The type of, It should be a good game to watch. Plymouth-Rochdale, they'll both go for it. But but I would imagine that Plymouth will, will have too much for, for Rochdale, who have lost, I think, four of six on the road. So, yeah, Plymouth, Plymouth home win, please. 
All right, my selection comes from League Two. I'm going for Carlisle and Salford, both teams to score in that game on Wednesday. Uh, Abby, give us some odds on those two and the Acker together, please. Yeah, so starting off with Clarkies, Plymouth are 5-6 to six to beat Rochdale. Uh, and as for you, Matt, uh, both teams to score between Carlisle and Salford, that's 8-11. to 11. So put that into Paddy Power's magic Acker calculator. Uh, I'm sure that's its official title. Uh, and that all comes out at 16-1. to one. And of course, remember, you get money back as a free bet. If one of your fourfold ACA lets you down. One thing to note on the ACA uh, insurance is that it's not valid on markets that come in at one to five or below. So we're on the edge a bit with the eight to 11, but right now we're okay. Okay. Um, while you're there, have you got odds on the next Sunderland manager as we speak on Monday lunchtime? As we speak at Monday lunchtime, Gus Poyet is the favourite to take over. He's five to six. Danny Cowley is three to one. And then, uh, oh, Paul Cook, uh, <laughs> 10 to three. <laughs> we see with that one. Uh, right, we're nearly out of time for today. Before we go, though, because it was uh, FA Cup weekend, posh lost it, surely. They're having a bit of a stinker at the moment. Um, Paul, what's your, what's your best FA Cup memory? Oh, my best FA Cup memory, wow. Um, I was lucky enough a long time ago we got to the quarter final with Wigan. What year was that? The year that Coventry won the cup? Was it 85? 88. 88. Was it 88? 87. 87 it was. 87, yeah. 87. Yeah. 87. We managed to get to the quarter final and we got beat by Leeds on a Sunday morning 2-0. But along the way we beat Hull and Norwich and Norwich were a Premier League team. And so that was probably as a young kid coming out of Liverpool I was only 17, 18 breaking into the team. I love the FA Cup, like we all did. Wow, the FA Cup was some. So to have that scalp early on was a fantastic one. And that was a great cup run I was involved in. How about you, Adrian? Well, I had a lot of unhappy memories in the FA Cup. <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, I was. I, I was. I played for Arsenal against Sheffield United. They were Championship, and we drew one all at Highbury. And I played quite well. But I missed a I missed a really good chance, a couple of good chances, and 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 I got dropped for the replay, uh, and uh, I came on for the last couple of minutes, and we got beat, got beat one 0 at Sheffield United, so it was it was a bit of an embarrassing result, so that was disappointing. But yeah, I'm just trying to think of it. There's one there's one personal happy moment. It was in the fourth qualifying round. I think I was playing for for Margate against Grays, and I was up against uh, a former teammate at Southend, Mel Caperton in goal who knew me inside out. We were great pals. And I had a penalty and the ref made me take it three times because <laughs> no. of encroachment and whatnot. And, and, and I scored all three. So that is that, that made me very, very happy. Uh, and I think we won the game four, three. It was a real cracker. So uh, yeah, that's a, that's a personal highlight, but yeah, not, not too many successes, sadly. No, nor for me as a, as a Forest fan. I mean, I could go for the time that Elton John's uncle scored the winning goal for us in the 1959 <laughs> final when I was minus 23 years old. Um, but I think I would probably go for something more recent than that. You'll like this, Clarkie, as will producer Abby. When Forest beat Arsenal 4-2 at the City Ground in, in 2018 and, and Eric Lehigh scored twice and his wife let him get a dog because she said she'd do that when he finally scored a, a goal and the dog is called Gunner in reference to the to the. Two goals that he got. That was a that was a pretty fun game. But yeah, slim pickings for Forrest in the FA Cup. Sadly, um, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. In a way, you know, I hope I hope we don't see you again very soon because we, we'd rather you were back in work than than FaceTiming with me and Clarky on a Monday afternoon. But it's been brilliant to have you on. 
I just want to say to everyone, thank you, and hopefully I don't see you again. <laughs> thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it really? can't be long, Paul. It can't be long before before you're back in uh, back doing what you well, do best, mate. So we wish you the best. You know, one of the problems, even in the management side of it now, it's it becomes a bit of a circus for out of work managers, doesn't it? It's it's something that I've never. I think I think clubs should profile a manager and go after them. I think nowadays in the modern day world, that's not the way the case. So you know what will be will be, but hopefully I'll be back in soon. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Clarky, thanks to you as well. And to Ryan Conway for joining us earlier. Producer Abby, a shout out to you as well. But mainly, listener, thank you to you for joining us. Stay safe. We'll catch up with you again next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Muddy Knees Media.